So scripture reading this morning will be from Jeremiah 17 and verses 13 and John 7, 37 to 38. Jeremiah 17, verses 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be ran, ran in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. And John 7, 37 to 38. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone this morning. Appreciate uh, everyone being here. Appreciate the opportunity to preach. Appreciate Eli for the scripture readings that he just read for us uh, this morning. Appreciate the songs that were that were just led. Um, Dylan, he got it right. Um, he contacted me and said, he said, uh, he said, Uncle Kyle, I just I just want to know what what you're preaching on. I want to match. What you're going to be talking about with the songs, which is so great, it's what he should be doing. He even went so far he wanted to match my outfit, and so I'm thankful for the songs. I'm thankful for how he's dressed. And the, uh, he, that, this has worked out good. But I am thankful for the songs. And speaking of singing, singing is exactly what we're going to be talking about next week. You remember all that work that you guys put in for the West Side's top 12 favorite songs. The list is ready. You don't know what that list looks like. You, you maybe you think you do. We'll find out what that number 12 song is next week, 2024, that first Sunday. Josh has that lesson, so you're really going to want to be here for that. I encourage you to make time for that, but right now, you need to be in your Bibles. You need to get over to um, John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be uh, going this morning. That's what we're going to be talking about, and I'm going to try to get this clicker to work. There we go. Okay. Uh, I hope you can see that. It looks like you can. John chapter 4, uh, the scripture reading, this slide, it gives away what this morning's lesson is going to be all about. And that's going to be about water. This is a lesson that I've been wanting to put together for a very long time. And I just haven't put it together for a couple of years. I've been thinking about this lesson. I just haven't done it. And not for really good, any good reason. I just, I just haven't done it. But since this is the last sermon of the year, I thought, you know what, this is a great time for me to just quit, you know, kicking this can down the road and just put this lesson together because this is the time of year when people start giving thought to uh, getting things done that they've been putting off. The new year and maybe resolving to just do things, things that they know are going to be good habits, things that they have been putting off. They've been resolving, been thinking about that and, and you know, Maybe you've been giving this some thought already. Like, man, I'm going to write 2023 off. It's been a bad year. I'm going to start fresh 2024, which is tomorrow. And remember this, as we'll come back to this at the end of the lesson. I know what you're thinking. Oh, great. Another New Year's resolution sermon. How original. And to that, I'll say, you're right. It's not original at all. But what is original about this lesson is the man behind this lesson. And there's a backstory. And the backstory I'll share with you now. Most of you here know that, that myself and, and, and Joshua, we work for the Rural Water District out of Mulvane. We've worked there for a number of years. Josh, a lot longer than I have. 
but we wouldn't have jobs there, we wouldn't have careers there if it wasn't for someone who really kind of paved the way for us, someone who was really paramount in building that water district into what it is now. We're really kind of reaping the benefits of what him and some other guys really, some of the work that they did. Uh, someone who used to be a member here, and I know you're, you're already thinking of him, someone that you remember and you love and you miss, and that was um, Larry Smith. Larry was the manager of that district for a number of years. He, he worked really hard there, and during that time, he learned a lot about, a lot about water. Um, and he was kind of known as the water guy. He was kind of your go-to guy when you had a question about water. You kind of went to him. He was involved with um, the hand digging of this well that waters th this property here. And he just knew a lot about water. Alice, before she moved away, we all remember Alice, was kind enough to give me the notes that he had for a lesson about water. This morning's lesson will be what I can remember and, and, and put together from those notes. There's plenty that I'm going to miss. Um, I think I was, I think he preached it like 30 years ago, and I was like eight years old, and so I'm not going to be able to remember everything he talked about. In fact, I only really remember one thing, and I'll mention later, but I do have his notes, and they're not super complete, but I think I've got enough to uh, get across what he wanted to say. And some, some 30 years ago, he was asked to preach a lesson at the Mulvane Church of Christ, and of course, the one thing that he was confident to preach on, that he wanted to preach on, was water. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And Larry loved to talk. He loved telling stories. And if, and if, and if, if anyone here didn't know Larry, that was one of the, the ways that he, he loved to communicate with people. He loved saying things through stories. In fact, those of you who do remember him, how many times did he tell you the same story? Multiple times. That's just, he just loved talking. He loved stories. He loved people. He loved communicating in that way. And a lot of times, his stories, they weren't just, they weren't just empty and, and shallow. They, they had meaning. And a lot of times, they were deep. But Larry loved communicating that way. He loved teaching and offering life advice in his own unique way. He would use stories to help kind of drive points. And he'd even kind of use his military background. He'd, sometimes he'd kind of talk in code. And maybe he didn't quite understand what he was talking about at the time. But... Later on, you'd be like, oh, that's what Larry was talking about. 30 years ago, Larry was asked to give a lesson, and he chose to talk about water. He used water as a metaphor to, to make some spiritual points, some spiritual applications, which really isn't that hard to do. If you think about water, water really flows throughout the Bible. From beginning to end, the Bible is filled with references directly and indirectly about water. And you probably are thinking about some of them now. We'll look at this one here. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Hold your place in, Gen in John 4 if you want or on the screen. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Jump to verse 6, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate the waters from the waters. So God made the expanse and separated the waters beneath it from the waters. And it was so, and then verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place so that the dry land may appear. And it was so, God called the dry land earth. And the gathering of waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Such an essential 
uh, component, component of life that's created right at the start, right out of the gates. Go to the end now of your Bibles. Turn all the way to the end to the book of Revelation. Book, Re book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 17. I'm going to read from my Bible because I just feel like it's better if I look down instead of up. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without a price. From the very start to the very end, and over what I found 720 times in between, water runs throughout Scripture, reminding us of its importance, of its um, the, the magnitude of it, both, both physically and spiritually. In fact, did you know that water is mentioned more than faith, more than hope, more than prayer, more than worship? There is no doubt how important water is. We know this. It's usefulness. It's power to heal and purify and cleanse and even to uh, destroy. You can't help but think all the times that, that, that water is mentioned where it's used you know, we already mentioned creation, but maybe you're thinking about, well, the flood. You know, water was definitely involved with the flood. Maybe you're thinking about, um, you know, little baby Moses floating down uh, the Nile River. Maybe you're thinking about the parting of the Red Sea, or maybe you're thinking of the Jordan River, or baptism, or Jesus turning water into wine. Maybe you're thinking of Peter trying to walk on water. Water is everywhere throughout Scripture. And these are just a, a tiny number of examples that shows water being used in Scripture, used by God. It, it, it pours out of the Bible everywhere. And maybe you're thinking of all these different water references because you are mostly water. God created us to have uh, approximately 70% of our bodies to be water, right? We've always heard that, that most of our bodies are water. Uh, approximately 85% of your brain is water. We know that a lot of the Earth's surface is water. Around 75% of the Earth's surface is water. Give this some thought. That uh, the water that we have on this Earth, it's the same water that was created. It's, it just gets recycled and it gets reused. It's just, it's just the same amount. Just, you know that uh, the hydrologic cycle with evaporation and transpiration and God, condensation and precipitation, that's what we're talking about. God did that. God made that. And he just, this, this system that just kind of works on itself and just keeps replenishing and providing and, and just that the recycled process just starts over. And, and you know that. Um, which means the water from your faucet, maybe you've got water in front of you that you're sipping on right now, could be have some of the same molecules that Jesus drank or Moses or Paul or whoever your favorite Bible character is, you could be drinking some of the molecules that were in their body. And that's a neat thing to think about. But water is life, and water is everywhere. And Larry knew this, and he made a career. He made a living. He provided for his family, delivering this most important resource commodity that this earth has. And so again, it's no, it's no wonder that this... Uh, universal need. Uh, he had this opportunity to teach this lesson to the members of, of the Mulvane Church of Christ some three, three decades ago. No wonder, because it's just everywhere throughout Scripture, and he knew it really well. But uh, the thing is, he wasn't the first to do this. 
He wasn't the first to use water to teach a lesson or, or to use water as, as a metaphor. Jesus, the, the greatest teacher of all time, he did this. And the most, probably the most popular example of this would be in John chapter 4. So that's where we're going to be today. Larry mentions this, this, this story in his sermon, and this morning we'll do the same. This story we're all pretty familiar with, and that's the woman at the well. Not just any woman, a Samaritan woman. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to simply go through this story, um, just, just follow the narrative, and just kind of pull out some spiritual applications for us while sprinkling in a little bit of, of Larry's life and and um, some, some lessons from, from his life, because I know, I know very confidently that if, if he was here and he was describing and explaining John chapter 4 to somebody else or to you, he'd be doing the exact same thing. He'd be telling stories and he'd, he'd, he'd get to some very spiritual lessons, and that's what we'll do this morning. So let's begin it in verse 3. The context that surrounds this story is very important. Um, Jesus is on the scene now. He's getting more and more attention, and attention from the Pharisees and some other people. It also includes more opposition. He's getting more attention from his cousin, John the Baptist, who uh, was on the scene a little bit before him. But his popularity is increasing. He's getting more looks. And because of this, he's going to leave where, where he's at, Judea, and he's going to travel north to Galilee, away from Jerusalem, which is where the heart of all this like opposition and this Jewish rule and leadership is found. And so... If you look at verse 3, he left Judea, and he departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Jesus has an appointment that he needs to make. But he doesn't have to go through Samaria geographically. He didn't have to. He, there, there was a, a different route that he could have taken. He could have crossed the, the Jordan River and went up through Perea and then back across the Jordan River again. But he didn't because he knew that he has this very important um, encounter that he needs to make, right? So you read verses 5 and 6. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. John is not just throwing out irrelevant information here about Jacob and, and his field and this well. It's very important. It's going to come into play a little bit later. But keep that in the back of your mind because it's going to, it's going to play a part in a moment. But right now, look at verse 6. Verse 6 talks about how um, he was weary. The apostles in their writing, it's great. Um, you, you look at the Gospels. They never really held back from showing Jesus' humanity and showing that he was uh, a, a real person. They never obscured or, or tried to cover that up of showing that. That Jesus was a human, uh, just like we're humans. He was just like us. And here's a great point to that. It's very hot. It's the sixth hour. It's high noon. He's traveled a distance. And he's tired from it. He's weary. And he's thirsty. Which is now going to lead into this discussion with this Samaritan woman. Verse 7. Uh, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The way this discussion uh, kind of unfolds is it's pretty fantastic. It's pretty amazing, really. And I think there's a great amount of patience that you're going to see with this woman as she tries to work through what's happening uh, in front of her right now as this dialogue goes. But Jesus says, give me a drink. 
And she's stunned. She's stunned because, you know, John tells us that, that in verse 9, the Jews, they don't have any dealings with the, with the Samaritans. Very unclean. Very unclean. And what are you doing talking to me, a Samaritan? In verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Feel the puzzlement start to kind of bubble out of this story, the beginning of the story already. Give me a drink. She says, why are you talking to me? To which she says, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink and I would be giving it to you. And she's like, then why are you asking me for a drink? If you're the one offering this water, why are you the one asking me for a drink? What's going on here? But you can see he's already starting to, to turn this on her, which is really interesting. If you think about like how he's already trying to flip this. If you knew who I was, if you knew who, have, who asked you this, I would have given you living water. And this idea of living water, to us living water is, is common. We are used to living water. Living water is it's just water that's there. We don't have to go to a well. You know, we go to the water fountain. We go to the sink. We go to the refrigerator. We, we hit the tap. Living water is there. Back then, though, it wasn't. It was extremely valuable if you could find a river that flowed. If you found this, this flowing, moving river, fountain, living water, if you had that, it was such a blessing. It was extremely, it was rare. So this, that's the idea of what this is. And that's exactly what Larry had spent a big chunk of his life providing. This living water, living rural water. And guess what? It's still, it's still extremely valuable. But Larry would deliver this water to people out in the country, to people out in the county who didn't have access to, to living water. He'd bring it to them, provide it for them. But it's still very valuable today and something that we take for granted. But people still use wells, right? The house I'm on, I, uh, Larry, Doug, the well. This is Larry's shirt too, by the way. Um, I'm on a well. And the technology is great. The advancements to where drawing the water out of that well is a lot easier. You know, I can just kind of go to the tab, but it's not very useful when the power goes out. Right? And sometimes wells just go bad, or they go dry, or they get contaminated. And then your well doesn't do you a lot of good. So rural water, or living water, it's very, extremely valuable. It's, it's, a, it's a great blessing. Turn it on, and it's there. It's living. And so Jesus is saying to her, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't have to be digging in, in, in that well, dealing with the hardship of a well. I would give you this flowing, living water. And of course, she's intrigued by it. Look at verse um, 11. Let me get caught up here. Uh, yes. And I knew I was going to get behind. We'll go to, yeah, we'll go there. Verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water. She's going back to, to the, initial, the initial question. Sir, you asked me for water. Uh, you don't have a bucket. The well is deep. Where do you suppose you're going to get this flowing water? And no, notice in her mind, there's no flowing water around here. That's not here. That's why we're at this well. There's no river. There's nothing flowing. Water, rural water hasn't made it this far out here yet. How do you suppose you're going to provide me with this living water? So you look at verse 12. 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Notice what she turns this into. Jacob is the one who put this well here. If you're able to find flowing, living, uh, rural water, does that make you greater than Jacob? Jacob's our father. He's a pretty sharp guy. You know, there's no river around here. He's the one that put this here. So we really appreciate him, and we, we have a lot of trust and confidence in him. Are you saying that you are greater than Jacob? That you can find better water than what he has given us. And so you can tell that by Jesus' response here, it's exactly the point that he wants to make. She's taking the bait here. If you look at verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. What a great picture that Jesus is laying out for this, this woman right now. This description of, here is what I am able to offer you. Here is what you have. You have a well. If you drink from it, though, you're going to be thirsty again and again. And you're going to have to keep coming back. But the water that I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. And so you imagine that for a moment. That you'll never be thirsty again. But he's going to ratchet that up a little bit. He's going to say it'll be a spring that's going to flow into eternal life. And so look at the woman's reaction to this in verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. It's hard to, to, to draw this water up. You've got this flowing, living water. Well, that sounds pretty good. Let's have it. How do I get that? But she's completely missing the prophetic cues that Jesus is giving to her. Like, there's no doubt that Jesus is being subtle, but his, the metaphor that he's using is not unfounded, right? The Old Testament prophets spoke a lot in this way. If you look at Isaiah chapter 12, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. When the Messiah comes, guess what's going to happen? You're going to draw water out of that well of salvation. Zechariah, in chapter 14, verse 8 9, On that day living water shall flow out of Jerusalem. Half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Ezekiel chapter 47. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region. It goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Jesus is using all kinds of prophetic imagery here. Living water, fountains pouring up, wells. You can have it. It's available to you if you knew who the one is that's you're talking to. Who the one that's, that's telling you about this? But she's not getting it. She's thinking physically. She's spiritually dense. Which is not uncommon. Especially in the, in the, in the book of John. 
If you, if you think, like John does a good job of, of showing people that are spiritually dense. If you back up to, to John 2, uh, when, uh, when Jesus is talking, he's talking about destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And what do they say? Uh, the temple is being built for 46 years. What do you mean? They don't get it. They're spiritually dense. John 3 and Nicodemus. How can, how can someone enter back into their, their woman's womb and be born again? Spiritually dense. He doesn't get it. John chapter 4. Later, after this, when the apostles come back with food, they went into the city to buy food. They come back. He's like, um, I, I, you know, I, already, I have food to eat that you don't know of. They're like, oh, did someone already bring him lunch? They're spiritually dense. They don't understand that he wanted them to eat him because he's the bread of life. They don't get it. They don't understand. They're spiritually dense just like us, just like me sometimes, right? Where, where the message is just right there. It's just right there in front of us. But we don't think spiritually. We're too busy thinking physically. And so we miss the message that's clear. This is right in front of us. But so he's going to have to open her eyes a little bit more on this to convince her that he's not talking about spiritual things. I don't know how many times Larry would explain something to me and I was just too dense to understand. And so he'd have to, he'd have to like really dumb it down for me so I could understand it. But that's what Jesus here is going to do. I'm not concerned about how labor intensive it is for you to use a bucket to draw water out of a well at noon when it's hot. I don't care about that. I'm not trying to give you an easy physical life. I'm trying to give you eternal life. I'm trying to give you the spiritual gift that um, is far greater. It's the best gift that anyone could give, far greater than anything that you can ever have or experience in this world. That's what I'm trying to offer you. But just like us, in this world, we're blinded by the world, and instead of seeing what Jesus has to offer, we look at the message, we look at uh, Jesus, just like her, and we go, well, he's going to make things easy for me, and I'm going to have this nice, comfortable, physical life. He's going to make my life simple, easy marriage, and easy finances, and I'm just going to have this, you know, this material, I'm going to have a comfortable life. It's very, very com convenient, no, no family problems. And that's not the message. And verse 16 is going to make, kind of, maybe it makes you chuckle a little bit about the response there because it's almost like you can picture Jesus is kind of shaking his head. And I'm not being critical of her because I'm the same way. I think that Jesus treats me the same way sometimes. I'm, I'm trying to give you something far greater, far more important, but you're thinking physical. You're thinking of something that's, that's going to make this convenient, which is why I think his response in verse 16 is so, is so good. For you, um, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And it just kind of makes me chuckle a little bit. Like, I wonder how she felt before she gives the response to that in verses 17 and 18. When the woman answered, I have no husband, Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband um, for you have had five husbands and the one you have is not your husband what you have said is true why why does Jesus do that you know maybe we think well this sounds kind of harsh maybe maybe he's being a little bit rude from living water to in the, these blessings to you I know all about your sin you know you've had five husbands and I know all about it you look at verse 19 the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are 
a prophet. Jesus exposes our sins to wake us up. And that's what he's doing here. And it's just a loving act on God's part when he exposes our sin. When to come into this world and to show where we are and what our place is and, and, and where the need is. Again, we get so caught up in this world on like, well, give me my stuff. Give me my money and, I, and, I, and I'm good. But God's love is seen in exposing our sin, trying to, to knock us out, to, to jar us out of the comforts of this world, to help us recognize that we need something far more, far better than anything physical and uh, temporal, uh, material, right? And, and I think we're just like this woman. We'll, t- we'll take everything that God says and somehow try to figure out how it works for us to, to give us a happy, more comfortable life and make me have what I can enjoy of the things on this earth. And Jesus has to wake us up to, to, to open our eyes to be more spiritual, to have, have our, our mindset on spiritual things. Because when we are aware of our sins, then we rely on him. Then we'll seek him spiritually. When we forget that, when we forget that we're awful, wretched sinners, then we think, well, we're good, fairly you know, moral people. Then we're going to just go about enjoying the things of life, and we're not going to be thinking about him. We're not going to have a care for God. So Jesus I think, comes in here not in rudeness, but to expose her sin, trying to wake her up. Because if you, if you can wake up and recognize your sin, then you'll know where you stand before God and, and know the spiritual lesson. But again, so, so often I think we just turn to uh, the, this eternal life into something about how, how I can relax and how I can take time off and how I can um, have all that I want in this world. We don't understand what God is trying to do for us. And I think we see that in the religious world today. I think we see that with, with churches today. And, and it's, uh, you know, what churches turned into is, Show up for an hour, kind of pay your dues, and I'll see you when I see you. You know, what an insult. God is trying to give us eternal life, and we're turned into, well, how, what's the minimum I have to do to get that? What's the minimum amount of time I have to be here to get that? That's what I want. That's what we turn that into. And, and we're the Samaritan woman. We're standing here. They're going, like, make my life easy. Give me, give me, some, give me some easy water. And Jesus is looking at us and saying, don't you see your sin? Don't you see it? Like, don't you see what I have to offer you? I'm trying to offer you this, this spiritual life. And if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for this living water. And that's why Jesus turns the story the way he is. Not, not, to, not, to, not to be rude, but just try to get her to understand what really is going on. And I think it kind of works. And you look at verse 20. If you read verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She transitions now to at least a spiritual question. You think back to Deuteronomy 27, and she says, well, you all say, Jews, that Jerusalem is the place, but my ancestors say here, uh, Moses says here, what do you say? Which is it? Then you have this great answer in, in verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming 
and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. What a phenomenal answer that He gives her. God is now not going to be worshipped by location. He's going to be worshipped through Jesus. Not, not the temple or some mountain. It's going to be through access and, and atonement is going to be through, through Jesus. You'll find it through him. Me, he says. It's all going to go through Jesus. And that great phrase at the end of verse 23 it says, The Father is seeking these kinds of people. That's who, who Jesus wants. When we... When we appreciate the gravity of our sins, when we recognize our place, when we recognize the amount of grace that's been bestowed to us, when we, when we put all that together and we, and we we're, we're awakened and we realize like we're not spiritually dense, then we'll seek. And then our primary, primary concern will be, okay, I want to worship him. And if I'm going to worship him, I'm definitely going to do it in the right way, with the right heart. Um, because I care about him and I understand him, uh, what he has done for me. And it's not about my convenience. It's not about my comfort. It's about him. And so I'm going to worship him with the right heart and I'm going to worship him the right way. Verse 25, though, it seems like she's not quite satisfied with that answer. It's like, well, maybe she was like, well, I was hoping you'd say Samaria. Um, but in verse 25, it says, the woman said to him, I know that... Uh, Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then, of course, we know, verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Imagine her in that moment. Her mind, most likely, going back to everything that they just talked about, that whole discussion. I can just imagine her face. I can imagine my face. Like, it, it clicks. Oh, the one who I'm talking to is, is the Messiah. Remember all that, if you knew who I was, talk? If you knew who you were talking to? Like, you've got something more important to, to offer? Yeah, that's right now. And verses 13 and 14 again, I'm just going to read again. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. You know, Larry spent a lot of time in Ethiopia. And he was in the military is what took him over there. And he, him and some guys, and thank you, Josh, for reminding me of this. And I spoke with Alice just to make sure I'm going to say the right things. But they, they took like a leave of absence and a number of the military guys, the army guys, and they, went, they would put in wells. For the locals, they'd go dig wells for the locals in Ethiopia. What a cool thing. Um, I think that picture came out okay. But water was scarce there. And he really wanted to help provide this, this, this need. But the water that he was providing wasn't the water that Jesus is providing. Because those locals, they, were, they would have to go to that well over and over and over again to get the water. And they're going to be thirsty again and again and again. It would be amazing, though, if, if you could drink water physically and, and you would never thirst again. But spiritually, think about what God is offering. Whoever drinks the water that I am offering will never thirst again. Never be thirsty in mind. Jesus is calling um, to our mind that what you are lacking, 
he is providing. And he's going to be the resource for that. If you will just drink from him. Everything you think you, you, you need, but you go out into the world to try to find it. You try to find this through the satisfaction of, of whatever it is. But it's not working. But what Jesus is offering is working. And we live in a world right now that people, would, they're just going to look for this in all the wrong places. They're going to look for this satisfaction, the answer to all their problems. And it's exactly where this woman is. You know, she's trying to use worldly things to be the lasting satisfaction and fill the void that's in them, in her. And that's not the answer. And, and we, we do that, right? The, the world tries to do it through all sorts of desires and, and evil and, and sins and immoral activity. Trying to fill that void, right? Trying, trying to look for it. Find that meaning. And so what happens is when we do that, we, we just keep going back and back and over and over again. But when we recognize that we, well, eventually you're going to get fed up with that. And you're going to be disappointed enough. And then at that point, hopefully you'll seek and you'll find. But the woman is walking proof of this. Because how does she have five husbands? She's looking in all the wrong places. She needs, she needs the Savior to look towards. And she's trying to find it in the world. But she keeps striking out again and again and again. And doesn't understand that, that Jesus is the treasure. She doesn't understand that, that life is, is found in him. But you keep trying to, in this world, you keep seeking, you're going you're gonna to end up empty. And there might be a little, little moment of happiness or, or shallow satisfaction, but it quickly goes away. But then it restarts, like that cycle, like the, like the hydrologic cycle. It's just going to keep repeating because the devil's going to come in and he's going to say, hey, that, that, that satisfaction that you found, you just didn't go deep enough. You just need to go a little bit deeper, and then you'll find it. And so you go a little bit deeper, and then you come up empty. You're like, no, no, you go a little bit deeper. And it just keeps over and over again. And so that's what we do, and it just disappears. But you know what Jesus says? He says, you'll never find it there. Drink the water that I'm offering, and you'll never be thirsty again. That's where you're going to find the, the, that satisfaction, the water that I'm providing. So we need to pull ourselves out of the spiritual darkness, awaken ourselves to the light, the water that Jesus is, is offering, and give our hearts completely to him. And if you don't want to take my word from it, or you can, you can read it for yourself. Our Bibles contain everything that we need for true happiness, for life, for peace, for hope. This story in John 4 is just one of, of many that show that the answer is not found in the world, it's not found in anything that you think of, it's only found through Jesus, it's only found through uh, God's word, not in anything else. And I remember one time Larry really wanted me to read the book of Ecclesiastes with him. Well, the story of John 4 is in the book of Ecclesiastes. We know that Solomon, he was looking, he was trying to find the meaning, the purpose, and and what, what was his con conclusion? To fear God and keep his commandments. He had everything else, but he kept coming up empty. And that's John 4. The story of salvation and deliverance and hope and happiness, it's laced everywhere throughout Scripture. But maybe it's been a while since you've read it. Tomorrow, here's the plug, is the first day of the year, 
it's a great moment to start reading that story again. Read the story that had, that had you in mind when it was written. And it's just a great time to start reminding yourself of, of the plan to, and, and to help awaken yourself, to help recognize your place, maybe to convict you of sin. Maybe you've never read your Bible cover to cover. If you have, haven't done it, it's fantastic. Every time you do it, it just, um, Josh was telling me, and someone said it. He got it from somebody, and I'm taking it from him. But like the, the Bible is shallow enough to where you can get what you need, but it's deep enough to where you'll never find the bottom. But every time you read it, it's just, it's, the pages, the words get bigger, and you'll just learn so much. It's just so good for you. It's just so healthy for your, for your spiritual, um, your, your health. Um, and you don't have to have a master's degree to do it. You don't have to be super smart. You really don't even know how, know how to know how to read. Like you just have somebody to help you. You could listen to the Bible. And you could get so much out of it. You know, one of the things I, I remember Larry telling me from his sermon, this is the only thing I remember from his story, from his sermon. This is the only thing. Is I remember he was telling a story about his brother Gary who was dying. He was on his deathbed. And he went to the hospital to go, to go visit him. And... His brother Gary was in a, in a spot to where he, he could do much. I mean, he's dying. And he really wanted water. He was so thirsty. But the nurses, for whatever reason, wouldn't let him have any water. The nurses leave. And then Gary motions to Larry, like, give me some water. Well, the only thing that was there was some ice chips. And so Larry would spoon ice chips in his mouth. And just, he just, he said he'd watch them as the ice chips would melt. Just the satisfaction and the relief is how, how good that was. And that's what water is. Water is life, and it satisfies, and it's so good. But the living water that Jesus offers satisfies more. And Gary wasn't dying from dehydration, although dehydration will kill you. It only takes a few days. It only takes a few days of not having water, and you'll die. Maybe you can make it four or five. I don't know. But not very long. But Jesus wants us to drink him. He wants us to, to drink from the, the everlasting well. And if, and, if we, and if we don't, we'll die. And of course, reading our Bibles is, is, is where we can learn about Jesus. We can learn about his love and his, his plan for us. So you, can, you, can, you can read about um, the, the life that he's offering. And, and, and if you do this daily, you'll grow so much. And you'll be pricked and you'll recognize your place and you'll just see things to start getting better. So here's the New Year's resolution challenge is to do this plan. It's to read your Bible like you drink water every day. And if you say, well, I don't drink water. I drink energy drinks and milk and protein shakes. Well, there's water and all that. Water's in everything because we know this world's basically water. But if you go a few days without water, you know you're going to start to suffer. You go a few days without reading your Bible, you're going to start... You'll see a decline. If you, if you don't have your nose in the text, if you're not constantly in God's word, you'll decline. So we need to always be in our Bibles, and this is a good plan. Um, people here have done this plan before. It, it's, it's really great. But have you ever been so thirsty that nothing else matters but quenching that thirst? Like, I know Tom has with, with firefighting. You, just, you reach this moment where... Nothing else matters but quenching your thirst. It doesn't matter who's in your way, what you have to do. 
you're, you're going to quench that thirst because your body is telling you this is what you need in this moment right now. And that's probably where maybe Gary was. But you know that feeling. You get so thirsty that nothing else matters but satisfying that need. My point is this is where God wants us. God wants us to be to the point where nothing else matters. Nothing else matters but following him. Who cares what our coworkers say? Who cares what people think of us? Who cares if we lose a relationship? It doesn't matter. Nothing matters except serving God. That's where he wants us to be. And so we just need to reach that point. And if you haven't reached that point, you know, reading your Bible every day will help with that. Um, but this is the Bible reading plan. I think it was put together by Mark Roberts. A lot of you here know him. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great plan. You read it a little bit chronologically, a little bit of the old, a little bit of the new, every day for five days. You get Saturdays, Sundays off to maybe catch up if you missed a day or two to give you time to do some Bible uh, class or worship prep for, for church here. Uh, but you can get through the entire Bible in a year. Or maybe you just want to do the New Testament, you get through the New Testament in a year, but it's, it's really great. It's really fantastic. You can buy a companion guide. That, that has a little bit of money. This is free. You can go to the link, you can download it, you can have it on your phone. Um, there is printed copies in the back. On the table to the right, as you're walking out, there's 30, 40 some copies. There's two pages. So if you're going to grab one, grab two. And you'll have the whole 52-week schedule. Uh, but it's a great schedule. And if you want to buy the companion guide, maybe, you know, can I help explain what you read? You do your reading, you read the companion guide. Hey, here's what you just read. Kind of in, you know, just kind of help you there. Uh, but this could be, really be helpful to you. So, again, a copy of the link. Copies in the back. Take as many as you want. Um, but God's word is powerful. God's word is going to do what it does. It's going to, it's going to prick. It's going to convict. And it's going to offer life to those who seek it. So let's drink from that water. And speaking of water, there's water right behind me. And it's ready for that person who has made the decision that nothing else matters. Nothing else matters but serving God. I'm going to be obedient, faithful, humble, and I'm going to be submissive at, at this point. Because I'm thirsty for life. This moment's for you. Maybe, maybe though, you think you're fine. Maybe you think, you know what? Um, think I'm good. I've got time. And to quote Larry, you're in denial. And I'm not talking about the river. That's the last, that's the last water pun of the lesson. But, but in all seriousness, this is the opportunity for you to make your life right. And... Um, it's what nobody, everybody here at God would love nothing more than for you to get your life right if it's not. So come forward right now if you have any spiritual concern as we stand and as we sing.